Today's guest is Patricia Wheeler. Patricia had a near-death experience where she encountered an angel and Jesus, and today we're going to learn about it. Patricia, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it, and welcome. Thank you, Jeff. If you don't mind, my audience loves to hear about near-death experiences, so can we start on the day yours happened? All right, so I didn't actually know that I was having a near-death experience, but this is what happened. My husband had gotten a motorcycle. You can tell where this is going. Um, We went up to his mother's house to plant a rhododendron. And on the way back, he asked me if I wanted to trade places with him on the motorcycle and drive the rest of the way home, which was only just a few blocks. And I didn't want to because I had no experience at all. But I thought, you know, what's the worst that could happen? So I traded places with him, turned the corner, and then turned on to our own block. And my husband was feeling comfortable enough to wave at the people that were playing baseball at the field because that was a bunch of our friends. I didn't feel comfortable. And as I turned the corner, there was a parked car. And I thought, I will just stop because if I try to turn or do anything to get around that parked car, I'm going to fall. So I decided to stop. But stopping means going up or down on the handlebars. So to stop going down on the handlebars meant that I all of a sudden gunned the engine and we just were like a torpedo going toward the parked car. We were probably 30 feet away. So however fast you can go in 30 feet, that's how fast we were going. We hit the back of the car, but I don't remember hitting it. And then we flew over the car and then off to the side of the car and landed in the street. But I don't remember landing in the street either. Um, So I'm laying in the street. Bob's laying on top of me. He sits up and says, are you okay?" And I said, yes, are you? And he said, yes. He gets up. And that's when I thought, oh, man, I have a broken leg. That's all I thought. Broken leg. Okay. He took a look at it, looking under my pant leg. That was the end of me seeing him. The doctor said later that what he saw looked like a watermelon that was dropped from on high, came down, and when it crashed in the street, a whole lot of straw jumped out because my leg was shattered. And so anyway... The fire department was called because two little girls were jump roping on the other side of the street. They saw the whole accident and told their mother who called the fire department. So I'm laying in the street. Here comes a panicking. They're going to run over me because I'm just a little person in the middle of the street. Who's going to see a person in the street when you're going to a fire? That's my thought. And then here comes the aid car with the fire truck and everybody stops and it's like, yay, they're here for me. So they get out, they come, they, they take my pants off me in the street by cutting the side seams and just 
pulling the pants off of me. And I look up and all the friends from the corner playing baseball are all standing around me. And there I am in the street wearing my underwear. It's like, okay, this is not what I intended for today. So then they put me on a stretcher, stuck me in the aid car, and then all the experiences got started. I was talking to the the paramedic in the back with me. He got a needle out and I said, are you giving me a pain shot? And he said, no, why? Are you in pain? And I said, no, but I expect to be shortly. See, no pain at all. Okay, so we get to the hospital. There's only the guy in the back with me and the driver. The driver goes around and opens the door in the back. And as he's opening the back door, I'm thinking, who's holding my hand? Somebody's holding my hand. I didn't even know there was a third person. And they just were letting go. They had to be an inch from my hand. And I turned and looked and nobody was there. And it was like, okay, well, I don't have time to think about that because in the hospital I go. Well, after a little fall de off to the operating room I go. So I didn't know this. But they were thinking they were probably going to be amputating my leg because it was so shattered. They didn't think they were going to be able to put it back together. So they had me sign a paper saying that they could amputate. My mom was there by then. She signed it. My husband, Bob, he signed it. And I signed it. When I'm signing, I said, what am I signing? And they said, you're signing something that says we can do whatever we have to do to save your life. It's like, okay. The whole room filled up with doctors and nurses. I mean, there were so many people in there. I didn't, it was like, how come they have so many people in here? And, and it was because they wanted to make sure that I wouldn't be able to sue them. Like they would all say, yes, this is the only thing we can do is just to amputate. And they would all agree. And I would agree. And they didn't even put me completely out. They just sedated me and made my leg totally numb. But I was very aware of everything. So anyway, I'm looking around the room and I see doctor, nurse, doctor, nurse, whatever. God, doctor, nurse, doctor, nurse. And I'm like, God? <laughs> I look back at the one that I'm thinking, God? And after the fact, after I think about it, um, I, I don't think that the person I saw in the operating room was God. Because I've heard that you don't see God the Father. He's spirit. And this guy didn't look like Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, well, I mean, like, what the heck does he look like? So we're back to Jesus, and this guy didn't look like Jesus. So he had to be an angel because he was definitely different than everybody else. First of all, you could see through him, but he was very there. Secondly, he was hovering off the ground about two feet. Even though I couldn't see his feet because he was behind the doctor, you could tell by the structure of his body that he wasn't like just tall. And so there he was looking over the, the doctor's shoulder, watching the surgery. And I'm looking at him and I'm seeing he has a really uh, like a girl face, not, 
you can't grow a beard on that kind of face. His clothing was white, but it was like a sheer white that was flowing and you could see through. He didn't have any wings or anything. And I don't remember his hair. I don't think he was bald, but because bald stands out, but it had to be either real fine white or real fine blonde, something that just blended because I don't remember his hair. He never looked at me. He always watched what was going on with the operation. And at the time, thinking this is God, um, I'm thinking he's working on my leg. And so I wanted to look and see if he was working on my leg. So I was trying to kind of sit up and look and I didn't want to see my leg. I knew it was bad, but I wanted to see his arms. I saw no arms. So I'm leaning back thinking, okay, well, I've heard that God works through doctors. Good enough. All right. Operation over. Off to my hospital bed I go. I go to sleep. Oh, the doctor said, your your leg will be numb for 16 to 24 hours. All right. So I go to sleep and I wake up and it's dark meaning that it's only just a few hours later, a few hours after the surgery. And I wake up and I think I was holding somebody's hand in the, in the aid car that was invisible. And I saw God in the operating room. And I was so ecstatic about that whole thing. I started to cry and all of, a, all of a sudden, there was like this, a star, a little star in the room with me, about 10 feet away, kind of like a glitter star. Anyway, I turned and I looked at it, and I knew it was Jesus. And I don't know if it was a tunnel ready to open up to allow me to go home or, or what, but... It was just this star, and I looked at the star, knowing it was Jesus, and I said, thank you. This is the best day I have ever had. And all of a sudden, my leg started buzzing, like like if you go to the dentist and you're all numb, and then your numbness is going away, and it starts buzzing. My whole leg started buzzing, and all the numbness went away. And it was like, I was fine. And I went to sleep. And the next morning, I had a headache beyond headaches because I had landed headfirst in the street, but I did have a helmet. And they had tried to give me medicine for my headache not working. And so I was just putting a pillow over my face. And um, um a lady from the hospital that was a chaplain came in and she says, you know, I'm the chaplain or whatever. And I said, let me tell you what just happened. And I told her the whole story. And she says, why are you under the pillow? And I said, cause I have a head concussion. And she says, did you ever ask Jesus to take away your head concussion? And I said, no, I didn't even think about it. She goes, you want to pray? And I said, yeah. So she goes, okay, let's hold hands. So I'm holding hands, not seeing her at all. I'm holding hands with this lady that I don't even know who she is. And she goes, okay, go ahead. And I'm like, you go ahead. And she goes, it's your headache. I go, 
Yeah, that's right. So I'm thinking, what can I say that's like a flowery little prayer thing, you know? It did not come to me. So I said, dear God, please take away my headache. Immediately, the headache was gone. That blasted headache just was gone. And I took that pillow off. I was so happy. Okay. So anyway, when when this whole thing all settled down and I'm home and everything, um, the doctor had said I'd be in a in a wheelchair for a year, but instead I was up in a walking cast after it was like two and a half, three months. Um, I went back to the doctor and I said to him, did you by any chance see God in the operating room? <laughs> and he said, no, but I'm not surprised you did because you were bleeding to death. That's how I know it was an NDE. Otherwise, I didn't even know. After that, events kept following me. For instance, I was in a car with my friend Becky, and we were heading to a park. And I was a really fast driver, always going beyond the speed limit. And this freeway was two lanes, and I didn't realize everybody was stopping the lane on my right, totally backed up stopping. And I'm driving so fast that all of a sudden, when I realized the cars in front of me were stopped, I knew that I had to pump the brakes for one thing, but find a way out of the situation. But there wasn't one. The left side of the street was a half of a car length width. And the right side was all the cars that were backed up behind me. And then, of course, we have the car in front of me that's just totally stopped in the lane of traffic. So my idea is to get in the left-hand lane. So I get over there. It's not a lane, the half lane where the cement dividing mark is. I know I can't fit, but it's not. It's the only option. I'm driving, pumping my brakes. I'm fitting in this space that shouldn't fit half of my car and and all of a sudden in front of me, I see a cement block with a light pole coming out of it. So, okay, so even though I'm fitting on the side of the road that I shouldn't be fitting in, there is no doing anything about the cement block with the light pole. And here it comes and there it goes. It's like, what just happened? I pulled into the lane of traffic because a big truck had left space in front of him. I looked in my rearview mirror. There was the cement block with the light pole. And I, I looked at the truck driver, and he was pure white. I know he saw what happened. I didn't. It was in front of me. Then it was behind me. And so we drove to my friend Becky, and I drove to the park. We were so scared we couldn't talk. We got to the park. I got out of the car. My legs were like rubber. I just kind of sat down onto a little um, sidewalk. She came and sat down, and she had her little brother with us. He was just a little tiny guy, and he's sitting in between us. And I looked over at Becky, and I said, did we go through the cement block? And she said, we must have. See, she didn't see it either. And I said, why didn't we die? And I looked down at her little brother, Jerry, and I said, it's because of him. We didn't die because we had Jerry with us. 
And she said, no, if that were the case, we would have crashed into that cement block. Jerry would have lived and we would have died. We didn't die because we weren't supposed to die. And it's like, yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. So that was one of the things. Then there was another thing that happened. I had the flu really bad. And I had been laying on the couch for a full week. And it got to Friday. And Bob said to me after he got home from work, can I go over to John's house and watch TV or something? You are not going to be fun tonight. <laughs> and I said, definitely go, go. And I'm just laying there on the couch, just sweaty and yucky. Just I, I think I probably laid on the couch for a week because I couldn't even sit up. I was so sick. And I fell asleep. And then all of a sudden, I heard Bob coming up the stairs and comes in the house sits down at the end of the couch, pats me on the leg, gets up and walks in the kitchen. So I'm awake. I mean, like I heard all that. I just didn't open my eyes. But because television was on, I was listening to it. So I opened my eyes and I see this cool experiment. They put this little mouse under water, but it's not water. It's liquid oxygen. And he's breathing and he's walking around under there. And it looks like he's underwater breathing. And I'm going... Hey, Bob, come and look at this. This is really cool. Hey, Bob. Hey, Bob. Bob? Bob? Bob. <laughs> come on now. So I get up and I walk in the kitchen. No, Bob. I look at the sliding glass door locked on the inside. We didn't go out there. I went over to the door to our basement. Our basement light was off. And we called the basement the dungeon. <laughs> the dungeon is scary. You don't go in the dungeon with the light off. So he wasn't downstairs. So I back up. He's not in the bedroom. He's not in the other bedroom. He's nowhere. So I quick. I get dressed. I get in my car. I drive to John's house. I knock on the door. John opens the door. Bob's sitting on the couch. And I said, hey, Bob, did you just come home? And he said, no. Why? And I said, somebody came in our house and they touched me. And boy, I tell you, Bob and John were in our house, lickety-split. They couldn't find anybody. And then I had to rethink everything. Now, wait a minute. I'd been laying on the couch for a week. I couldn't even sit up. But what did I do? I got dressed and I drove to John's house. And what else? The person that came up our stairs didn't even use a key to get in the door. And what else? They sat down at the end of the couch. They patted me on the leg, and then I was well. Then they walked in the kitchen and disappeared. So I think that was Jesus. So I have plenty more. Would you like to know more? Yes, I would. But let me ask you a few questions before we go there. I also want to say thank you for sharing all that. Okay. So did you have a religious background before this all happened? Yes, I was, uh, I went to Catholic grade school and then I went to Catholic college. And once I completed my degree for teaching, I went back to the Catholic grade school I taught at and I taught for 38 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was also a little bit mixed up on your, t on the time of all these events. When did the NDE happen? The NDE happened right after I got married. 
And the thing about that NDE was, is when, when I got married, I was uh, 23. And Bob had said to me, when we get married, are you going to change? And I said, no. And then um, three months later is when all of this happened to me. And I was so different. And I had to pretend I wasn't because I told him. And so everything had to come out real slowly. I did not tell him any of this stuff. He was not a believer at the time. Oh. So everything was real slow. I was going to ask that. What does Bob think about all this? Well, he's okay now. <laughs> he's had plenty of time to adjust. <laughs> but yeah, right at first, I don't know if our marriage would have lasted in a situation like that. Besides the experiences that you've already told us about, in what other ways did the NDE change you? Well, I taught at a Catholic school. And so I was able to tell the kids in my class all the things that God had done for me. And by the way, I kept perfect notes about everything God did. I had a file of notes because I wanted to always make sure that my stories didn't change. You know how things can change a little over time. I didn't want that to happen. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so I would, I would teach the kids according to what I learned. And for instance, this one time, we had two of every class, two of every grade. This one time in my third grade class, the other third grade teacher and I said, you want to just switch classes just for a class period and you come and teach my like religion or whatever and I'll teach your math or whatever. So I went over to the other third grade class and I taught them how to die. I didn't follow any curriculum. And shortly thereafter, one of the little girls in the class got leukemia. And she told her mom, it's okay. Mrs. Wheeler taught me what, what's going to happen. Everything's going to be fine. And it, it changed the family, hmm. you know? So, I mean, like, the NDE made it so that I... I, I pray and, and I expect answer from prayer. As a matter of fact, can I tell you another story? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I learned how to speak sign language. And so I was in with a lot of deaf people as friends at that point. It was no longer a class. These were my friends. And I got a, a message that one of the guys, one of the deaf guys was in the hospital and he was dying. He had uh, diabetes and, and he wasn't going to live much longer. So they said, do you want to come? Yes. So I show up at the hospital. I talked to the nurse and I said, I know the last thing that a hearing person loses is their hearing. You know, they can be going out, but they still hear. But a person who can't hear, what's what's the last sense that they lose? And she said the sense of touch. So I had asked the son of this guy if I could be in his room with him, just the two of us. And he was in a coma. And I put his hand on top of mine like you do with a person who's deaf and blind. And I signed 
Dear God. And as soon as I signed Dear God, this guy, his eyes just bing went open and he looked right at me. It shocked the heck out of me. I didn't expect him to come out of the coma. And so I was like, wait a minute. And I ran and got his son and said, he's a, he's alive, <laughs> you know, go in there and talk to him. So he was in there for a few minutes and then he came out crying, saying that his dad told him he loved him and all that. And I said, can I go back in? Yes. So I went back in and the, oh, oh, I forgot to tell you when, oh, this was what happened the first time. Okay. When I signed Dear God, his body had like an electrical response to those words. And he looked like an ocean wave. His butt, his head came up, his middle went down, his feet came up. I mean, just, it was like, you know, this kind of thing, but real fast. And that's when his eyes opened. Okay. So when I went back, he was coma. So I signed, dear God, with his hand on me, dear God. And his eyes, again, bing, he's looking right at me. But this time, I just kept signing to him. And and all. I told him, you know, go ahead and go. It's okay, you know. And I talked to the angels in the room. Just take him. Don't make him suffer. Because it was going to be hours to maybe a half a day or more for him to suffer before he was going to die. Well, anyway, um, after praying with him and everything, Back in the coma, he went, I left, on my way home, found out he died within a half hour of after I had left. Hmm. So that was another one of those prayers. Now, you mentioned that there were angels in the room. How did you perceive that they were there? Oh, I didn't perceive them. I just, I took for granted that there were angels in the room Hmm. because there are angels Everywhere. I went to a prayer meeting one time and uh, everybody was praying and praising God. Their eyes were closed. My eyes were closed. My hands are up in the air. And all of a sudden there's harp sounds everywhere. The music turned to a harp festival. But I just I thought that the lady on the piano or 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 whatever, that she could press some buttons and make it sound like a harp. And I thought, that's pretty cool, you know. And then when our little prayer session was coming to a close, this girl runs up front and she goes, there were angels all over this room playing harps of them. And I'm like, I had my eyes closed, but I heard them, you know. So I know that there's angels everywhere. And it's like, darn it, why didn't I open my eyes? I know I would have seen them. Have you ever seen your angel that you saw the day in the emergency room? You know, I haven't. But there was a guy that came up to me at uh the Puyallup Fair is what it's called in the Seattle area. It's a very famous fair. And I I don't know if it was that same guy or not. I had praying for something, something that at the time was very important. And I wasn't hearing an answer. And I said, God, listen, you're apparently telling me the answer because you always answer my prayers, but I'm not hearing you. So you're going to have to hit me over the head with the answer. So I'm at the Puyallup Fair, and Bob's like, hey, look, scones, which are, you know, fun food to eat. And so off he goes. 
And I'm standing there because I don't want to get close to the scones because I know I'll eat them. And um, this guy comes up to me and said, God told me to tell you. And he told me the exact answer to my exact. And then he just walked away and Bob comes back with a scone. And I'm like, who the heck? And I don't know if the guy got lost in the crowd or where he went. I, I can't say he's the same guy I saw in the operating room, but the guy was probably an angel because either that or he was very connected to God and God said, go tell that girl, blah, 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 you know. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'd like to see that angel again. I'm sure I will. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I can't guarantee that was him. Right. Still to this day, are you still having these miraculous things happening around you? Yes. Not quite like that, but okay. So this this one time when I was living in Seattle, um, we had a power outage and it was snowing and it was one of the coldest winters we ever had. And Bob had gone to work, but I didn't have school because school's canceled. But I was freezing. I had my dog, I had a small dog, I had my dog inside my clothes with me and I was wearing everything I could think of to stay warm. And I picked up our landline because that was before cell phones. I picked up the landline and I opened the phone book to this hardware store that was called Eagles Hardware Store. And I was going to call them and ask them if they had a generator because I was so cold. And when I called, I expected them to answer Eagles Hardware. But instead, the lady said, hello. And I said, oh, I have the wrong number. I'm sorry. She goes, what do you need? I said, well, I was trying to call Eagles Hardware. Well, what do you need from Eagles Hardware? Mm -hmm. I said, I need a generator. I'm freezing here. Mm -hmm. And she goes, I'll have my boss call you back. I said, okay. I have no idea who I just talked to. So then... Man, I'm forgetting to tell you an important part here. Before I called Eagles Hardware, I said, dear God, I have a generator out in his garage and I need it. So then the phone rings. And this guy says to me, how'd you get my cell phone number? And I said, I misdialed. I intended to call Eagles Hardware. What do you need? Well, I need a generator. I'm freezing to death. He says, oh, I have a generator out in my garage that I'm not using. I'll bring that over. And it was the exact words, right? He came over, connected me up, says, call me when you don't need it. When I didn't need it, he came back, took it, wouldn't take money, and off he went. And then there was the time my father had just died um, because he, okay, he he was old, and he was in this situation kind of like a nursing home, but he was actually at the step before a nursing home, whatever that is. Anyway, he got up during the night. He fell. He got a big bump on his head. The doctor came in the next day saying, what happened to your head? And he said, I got up and I fell. And the doctor said, why did you get up? And he said, because. Because there was a toad and afraid somebody was going to hit it. Okay, that was it for my dad. That was a Thursday. The following Sunday was Easter. I was out in my front yard gardening. And up my driveway comes this lady and her little boy. And the little boy is carrying a turtle. 
And he's handing it to me while the lady is saying, we found this turtle in the middle of the road and we were afraid somebody was going to hit it. Mm. So we thought we would give it to you to put in your lake. And so I said, sure. You know, we went around to the lake. She puts it in and they leave. So I go tell Bob about that. And he goes, there was a turtle in the middle of the road and she was afraid somebody was going to hit it. Do these words ring a bell? It's like, oh, my gosh. My dad either saw it happen in advance or he made it happen. He had a connection because it was the exact words, Hmm. you know. So anyway. Wow, it's amazing. Okay. Now, here's the biggie. I heard God the Father's voice. And this is what happened. Went to the dungeon to do laundry. <laughs> That's my basement. Okay, so I went on down there and I had my laundry basket. And all of a sudden, I heard God the Father say, Stop. That's all he said. I knew exactly what he meant. And I, I didn't know what to say because what he wanted me to stop was he wanted Bob and me to stop smoking pot because mm. we had been smoking pot. Oh, like it was a daily thing. People would come over, you hand them a joint, like people would hand somebody a glass of wine. That's just how it was. But when God said stop, I knew that's what he meant. And I knew too, just because his voice is powerful, it's right, it's righteous, and you really, no matter what you say, you cannot go against his, whatever his wish is. I mean, you can, but you don't want to. And instead of saying, okay, I said, but (laughs) if I stop, then when people come over to see us and stuff, they're they're not going to want to stay very long. Like That's a great excuse. And I'm going on chit-chatting, you know, with the reason why I shouldn't have to stop, knowing I was going to be stopping. And he said, stop. And I went, okay, but if I stop, and I don't know what lame excuse I gave him the second time, And all of a sudden, there was this dread that came over me that felt like if I died at that moment, I was going to end up in hell. I know a lot of people don't believe in hell. At that moment, I felt that's where I was going because I was going against God. My head went down to the washer, and I had my head on the washer, and I just said, what can I do to get rid of this feeling? And he said, just stop. And I said, well, how did I say it? I said, okay, fine. It's like, okay, fine. You don't talk to God by saying, okay, fine. And it was an attitude. Okay, fine. You know, <laughs> I have, I have apologized so many times for being a brat, but I said, okay, fine. You know, in that bratty attitude and that whole feeling lifted off of me. And I'll tell you one thing, Jeff, people call God, he, she, God's voice was a male voice. Mm. I'm not calling that guy, he, she, that was a definite he, and he is powerful and he is right. And you don't want to go against that guy. 
he's kind of scary. And yet at the same time, I know that he did that for me. He was doing it as a loving father to keep me from going off the deep end and ruining my life. It was a totally loving thing. But I tell you, I'm never going against that guy. How did your life change after you stopped? First of all, I stopped. I went upstairs and I told Bob and he goes, oh, yes, you have to stop. But that doesn't mean I have to stop. <laughs> you know. So he kept going. So I prayed for him. His work had a drug testing thing at random. And he came home and he said, I got to stop. We have a drug testing thing at work. I don't want to lose my job. And so he stopped. Well, Everybody just took for granted that we weren't going to be smoking. And so it was fine with them. And they kept coming over and visiting and just nothing changed. I mean, every, everybody still loved us. You know, we still had our friends. Mm -hmm. What do you think inspires you the most about your experience? The fact that I know that I'm not alone. I'm being helped. I'm being watched. I'm being listened to. And so it's, I'm never in a, in a situation where I have no power because my power is from above. And I know that, I know that God's never going to go against anything that's good for me. Let me backtrack for a second. When God was speaking to you and saying, stop, mm. are you sure it was God or could it have possibly mm. been Jesus? No. It was God the Father. No. Jesus, okay. I've never actually heard Jesus' voice, but Jesus doesn't talk like that. And I have heard the Holy Spirit's voice. Um, okay, so you remember me saying I wrote all these notes about everything that's happened to me? Mm -hmm. I never intended to write a book, but two weeks before COVID hit, inside of me i heard an actual voice and it said it's time to write your book and that surprised me because my thought was i have a book i mean i have notes but when when he said it's time to write your book my 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 idea was i have a book and then but my words were okay it's time to write my book and immediately i started that day and everything worked out like clockwork. You know, some people take years to write a book. Mine was already published within uh, six months. Hmm. Written and published within six months. Written, edited, and published. My my friend Teresa, thank goodness COVID hit. She was sent home from work saying, you're, you're at the age now where you're going to retire. Just stay home because of this COVID. Just stay home and retire. And I had called her to ask her for some editing advice. And she goes, you know, I can edit your book for you, right? And I went, oh, Teresa, I didn't even think of that. Editors that were not doing what they should have been doing. And so all of a sudden I had Teresa and I'm like, Teresa, thank you. I'll pay you. And she said, no, you don't have to pay me. And she edited my book and it's almost perfect. We found one comma out of place. That was it mm -hmm. in the whole book. It was perfect. It, I mean, almost perfect. It was great. Thank goodness for Teresa. Does that experience 
fade like a memory or is it still as clear as days like as if it happened yesterday it's not like it happened yesterday but it's never going away it was way too important but you know what so like right after the experience i was at home and i was like i was in my cast and and bob was gone and i was very homesick for jesus and the angels oh my gosh i wanted them so bad and so i was crying and praying and saying look you showed me all of this stuff and then you just left and now uh, you, you got to come back that's just not fair you can't do that. And so like I'm looking around the house I'm thinking he's going to step out from a room. I just know it. And it was nothing. The next day I went to school. I was in my walking cast. I went to school and that night we had teacher meetings with parents and there were 15 minute blocks and I was already 10 minutes into this 15 minute block and a parent was a no show so I you know just sitting there waiting for the next one. And this guy named Jerry that had a year before at my door. And he says, God sent me to you. And I said, I know, because he was very holy man. And he said, he wanted me to invite you to a prayer meeting at St. Stephen's Church on, I forget what day, let's just say Saturday night. And I said, I'll be there. <laughs> like, uh, God's inviting me to a prayer meeting, you know. So I went to this prayer meeting. And when I went in, everybody was praying in tongues. Do you know about praying in tongues? Okay. So for the audience, I'm getting spirit where you're, where you're, you have a different language and it's apparently a heavenly language and everybody's praying in tongues and then they start singing in tongues and they, they have guitars and stuff, but they're singing. And I'm like, I'm praying just regular, you know, but it's like, man, I want this. And so after the meeting was over, I went to one of the guitarists and I said, whatever it is you guys have, I want it. And he said, okay, well stick around. So when everybody was gone and there were just, a few people there went to the sacristy upstairs and sat on the stairs of where the altar was and this guy says to me what i want you to do well first he asked me if i had any problems with any people that needed to be forgiven and i didn't so he says okay what i want you to do is i want you to just talk just baby talk and we're going to pray over you and you're going to start talking in the with the holy spirit and talking in tongues and I'm like, what? But what do you mean, baby talk? And like, whatever. And I'm inside of me. I'm like, God, please don't make me look like an idiot saying goo goo gaga, please. So okay, so they start praying over me, and I I had full intention of saying goo goo gaga, but I didn't even get goo out of my mouth. Immediately, I was praying in tongues. It was like, thank you, that Holy Spirit in me filled a void that nothing else could fill. I All of a sudden, God isn't just out there. He's in here too. And so it that totally changed me. Speaking of change, did you change the way you practiced religion after the experience? All right. So I was teaching at a Catholic school. And I kept going to my mom 
and saying, Mom, I don't feel like I'm Catholic anymore. And she's like, sure, you're Catholic. You got baptized Catholic. You went to Catholic. You are a Catholic. I'm like, Mom, really? I I really don't think I'm Catholic anymore. I know I was very Christian, but it's like, I'm not so certain I'm Catholic anymore. Well, as time went on, it was very evident to me I wasn't Catholic. And so when I was teaching, because I had to teach Catholicism to the kids, the parents are paying me to do that. I would teach them, them by saying stuff like, the Catholic Church teaches blah, 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 blah. I didn't say this is the way that I feel. And then so anyway, I feel very aware this because I am totally retired. And anybody watching this podcast is history to me, but they're they're good history. They're, I, I love every child that went through my class and the parents and grandparents. I love them all, but I'm not a Catholic. Mm. I can't be a Catholic, but I'm definitely a Christian. Uh, I am such a Christian. <laughs> I'm more Christian than I was when I was teaching. All right. Well, let me switch gears on you. What okay. is the title of your book? Oh, it's called Beyond the Natural. I'll show you the cover. Beyond the Natural. And where can we pick it up at? It's it's sold online through Amazon. Okay. And, um, and I would... Okay, so like the Holy Spirit really helped me write this book. So I kind of feel fraudulent (laughs) because I had such help. And um, the stories in there, I have to say, are very enjoyable to read. And it's one of those books that you you just have a hard time putting down. And so if you read it and you love it as much as I know you will, Go on Amazon and and give me a rating, the star rating, because I'm like sort of into that right now, you know, seeing the the comments that people have to say about this book. But honestly, when I was writing some of these stories, sometimes I would write them during the night. And then when I'd wake up in the morning and read them, I'd say, oh, I don't think I really wrote that. (laughs) I had a lot of help with that one. (laughs) So, yeah, so it's a great book, and and I'm not patting myself on the back. The Holy Spirit was during part of that book, most of that book. Are you a public person? And if so, how would someone reach out to you if they wanted to? Um. I, I've i never been on a podcast where I've given out like an email address, but I guess I could because if somebody felt, oh, better yet, find me on Facebook. You know, um, I guess you just have to know this face because mm-hmm. there's like a quad billion Patricia Wheelers in the world. Do you have a Facebook page for your book? I wish. I don't know how to do that. Oh. Well, it's not that hard. You can set that up. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Where you? I'm sure you have a friend or somebody or somebody can set. I mean, it's like if you have you set up a Facebook account. I mean, you should. It's like just adding another page. So maybe you can help me. Sure. Yeah, I do that too because I'm an artist, and since I retired, my artwork has just exploded. I am really drawing. I, I can. I can draw. Oh, wow. 
sells your art out. Is there anywhere where people can view your art or do you want to post it to your Facebook page? Yeah, I think I need to post it to my Facebook page. Yeah, that'd be great. But, yeah. Mm -hmm. Before we finish here, do you have one last message that you'd like to share with the audience? Well, pretty much it, it is the culmination of what I'm saying, and that is that we are not alone. Um, God is watching us. Jesus is watching us. Hopefully the Holy Spirit is in you. And, and if not, then maybe that's something that I need to let people know that you can have the Holy Spirit in you. So if you feel a hole inside of you, one that just doesn't ever get filled, and maybe you're doing drugs or alcohol or you're doing anything that takes the place of God, pray about it and get the Holy Spirit inside of you. Search it out. It's easy to find. Every, people on the Internet, you know how it is. You can find a way. But just pray. God knows. He'll he'll respect your desire to ha to fill that what's called a God shaped hole in your in you you know. All right, Patricia, thank you for that message, and thanks again for joining me. I mm -hmm. wish you massive success with your book, and have a great evening. Thanks, Jeff. All right, bye bye. Bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.